Here to talk retail with us today, we have Wes Hopper, the Field Vice President, Strategic Accounts for McKesson Medical Surgical. Wes, thank you so much for being with us today. Brian, thank you so much for having me. So, Wes, before we talk retail, I'd like to talk a little bit about you, actually. Can you tell our listeners about your role at McKesson and the retail experience that comes with that? So, Brian, I am currently, as you suggested, Vice President of Strategic Accounts, and that incorporates the retail marketplace. McKesson and I have a deep focus on retail in the HME, DME space, and for about the last 11 years, I have been working with various customer partners, inclusive of large national chains like the Walmarts and the Walgreens, CVSs, and the like, along with independent DMEs, HMEs, and retailers trying to help build a program and portfolio of offerings that will help improve margin while targeting the fastest growing segment of our business, which is the cash and carry model. Well, let's talk about that cash and carry model, Wes. So for our listeners who might be solely reliant on reimbursement or some other business model, what can you tell us about how a cash and carry model looks and why our listeners might want to consider adopting one? Well, I think that's a great question, but I also think it has to start with the foundation of what's going on in the marketplace today. As we many of us have read, and I think we all know, with competitive bid, reimbursement cuts, the pressure of marketplace, including the consolidation of providers in America today for DME, it is so critical to diversify your overall offering. Recently, there was a study done by CEB that suggests the retail cash offering in America exceeds $50 billion, and that's the amount of money that people will actually spend on HME, DME-related products and services that they'll pay cash for. In addition to that, with the advent of the Internet and e-commerce, People are willing, especially baby boomers and the aging population, they're willing to pay out of pocket for higher quality product. So the market is demanding, requiring, and encouraging traditional HME, DME institutional providers to explore the cash and carry model. So the market just is saying this is where it's headed. We've also heard over and over again about the consumerism of healthcare and understanding consumer behavior is a critical component to the success if you're going to enter into a cash or a diversified model to support your business. All right. So during our initial discussion, Wes, you had mentioned that there are four P's that providers need to be aware of if they are going to be successful with this particular model. So this might be a good time for us to mention what those are. Yeah, it's fascinating to me because I think back when I was in school and about the turn of two centuries ago that the four P's of marketing and selling are basically hard and fast rules that don't change from one market to the next. So if you've ever heard of the four P's or even if you haven't heard of the four P's, it's pretty simple and it becomes a mathematical equation. The first P is product which is often defined as the product or service 
that would fulfill the need that the consumer is looking for. The second P is place. Place is critically important to understand today, more so than ever with the advent of the internet shopping and the logistics involved in moving what the product or service that's going to be offered to fill a need to the place where the transaction occurs. The third P, frequently known as promotion. Promotion actually is not a buy one, get one free mentality. Promotion is the education, the training, or the knowledge share that goes along with the value of the first two P's, product and place. So the more you can educate slash promote on what sets your business apart from your competition, that will elevate the probability of the fourth P, price or profit. So if you think about it in a linear mathematical equation, P1 plus P2 plus P3 equals, and price is not determined by the price that you set on the product, Price is determined by the consumer that is deciding how much they're willing to spend or out of their own pocket for the value you provided in the first three Ps. Okay. Well, let's start fleshing out this equation a little bit for our listeners, Wes. So let's start with product. Now, obviously, you can't do a retail offering unless you have something to sell. So what types of products can a provider offer successfully in the marketplace today? Well, oftentimes, healthcare being local, especially a DME healthcare being local, it is so critically important for our providers to understand when the consumer slash patient leaves the doctor's office or leaves the therapy office or leaves whatever care they're in and they come to an HME and they're looking for a wheelchair or looking for a cane, the most successful cash and carry models, don't let that cane go out the door without understanding the complete patient need. So I often call the cane a $20,000 cane. And what that means is if the consumer has a great experience of convenience and knowledge and everything else, with that first point of product, entry product, with a DME provider, they will, in their lifetime, come back and spend even more money as their care needs advance. So a cane or a support brace or a basic DME product is over the life of that patient going to move into other products. We all learned many, many years ago that McDonald's and other consumer providers started asking, do you want fries with that? So the product is not just about the wheelchair or the commode. It's about accessorizing that wheelchair, that commode, the walker, the cane, and making sure it's properly fit and the services that go with it. So that's what actually how you need to think about product is beyond the entry product, what are the other products that go with it? And also the service that goes with it, it sounds like. Absolutely. So... If you just read the box, they might as well go online and buy it at Amazon. If you actually fit the product, you understand the product, and you are truly a healthcare provider 
and, and an expert in the space, your results will be amply rewarded. Well, let's talk about place. So a good number of the people listening to this podcast right now might be coming from a clinical setting or maybe from a warehouse or fulfillment type of setup. So uh, what might they need to be thinking about if they're considering adding a retail offering? So place is a very multifaceted variable. Place at the in the retail environment or in the brick-and-mortar environment includes where is that product placed within the store? Think about grocery stores. The most common example is the milk is at the back of the store. And the impulse items, the very high profit items like gum and candy and, and potato chips and soda, they're at the front of the store by the cashier. So that cashier, you've got your wallet out already, I'll just add another pack of gum to the order and it rounds out the total offering. So in a retail environment, Place is important, but beyond that, if, if anybody and everybody on this podcast that's listening has ever purchased something online, they have to think about place in a, terms of convenience. The average consumer today is not wanting to get in a car and go to a retail store just to be told, oh, we don't have a particular item you're looking for. What ends up happening is they leave that store, they leave that retail location or the brick-and-mortar location, and maybe even inside the store, they get on their iPhone and they place the order online. Right there in the parking lot, even. In the parking lot. (laughs) place, you have to be willing to have your products within the store with a good, better, best assortment properly placed within the the brick-and-mortar location and it needs to be supplemented by, I can get this item, the unique item you're looking for, shipped to your home and have it to your home within a day or two. Convenience. you got to keep up and with that Amazon know. Prime shipping. <laughs> Amazon Prime shipping. And you just said it perfectly. The perception that freight is free is a misnomer. Freight is never free. And the last mile is always the most expensive mile. So the values that you attach to product and place need to be properly communicated, trained, and educated to the consumer so they're willing to make a more informed decision. So that leads us to promotion. In talking about promotion once so once they've got a product and a place for people to come and buy it how do people go about letting them know uh, in a successful way that they're open for business Wes so one of the things that I like to do even on a podcast or on any kind of interview I ask people to think about their own consumerism their own consumer behaviors when they're running a business I would venture to say that if we've all ever gone into a retail location and you're kind of walking around and you're shopping and somebody walks up to you and says, hi, may I help you? The first words out of your mouth is, no, I'm just looking. (laughs) It's especially true when it comes to HME, DME. So promotion is about education. And I also, I think we can all relate to the story that you don't quite know, do I want to buy product A or product B? And you go to a retail clerk, and it's not necessarily in the HME space, but in 
electronics or in you know, you're you're looking for something for your home, you're remodeling your home, you go to a Lowe's or a Home Depot, and you say, what's the difference between product A and B? And the person grabs the box and starts reading it to you. Ugh. Yes. Why bother? Yeah, why, why am I here? I could have read this description, the manufacturer's website or on Amazon. I, I could already have had this purchase made or known this for myself. So the other critical part about promotion, and this is why I keep calling it education, it has been a proven fact in the last three years that the consumer is more likely to self-diagnose by going to Dr. Google than to actually going to a doctor. I have a very good friend, and I, uh, he happens to be an oncologist, and I asked him the other day, what is he most frustrated by with his the, the healthcare and the medical profession today. And he said, people have gone so far, even with cancer, and they no longer trust their doctor. They go online and they go to Dr. Google and they say, hey, I have these five symptoms. That means I must need this drug. <laughs> and he said, WebMD is not your friend, folks. <laughs> so think about that in terms of an HME, DME store. I'm told I need a cane. So I go to Dr. Google, and Dr. Google tells me I need an adjustable cane. Well, don't you need a folding cane? Or do you need a quad cane? Or do you need a walker? Because your condition is actually more advanced than just a cane. So when we go into a retail or an institutional HME environment, even if it's your interaction on the phone, it is so critical that you have product knowledge, and that's promotion. The education to have the good patient or consumer outcome. And with that, that's how you elevate your profitability slash price. Okay. Now, Wes, I want to be really careful in addressing this particular point. So you gave the equation that the first three Ps equal the last one. And I think that it's really easy for people to assume that pricing and promotion go hand in hand, right? If you want to do a good promotion, you offer some kind of discount or, or you cut your pricing, but that also cuts your profitability and you can, you can end up pricing yourself to death. So I'm very interested in your particular equation or model, and I would like you to really dig deep into that and explain to my listeners how that works so that when they go to start a retail offering, they can find the best success with it and find a pricing model that really works for them and helps them to succeed. So by a virtual show of hands, I'm going to ask the listeners to raise their hand and say, have they ever purchased a Dunkin' Donuts, Pete's Coffee, or Starbucks coffee? I imagine that we probably have a whole lot of hands going up across the internet right now. Exactly. Is that coffee really worth $5? Or can I go get the basic same coffee at a, well, a different coffee house, maybe pay $2? What's the difference between the $5 coffee and the $2 coffee? It's the perceived value that has been put forth by way of promotion, education, product, a cup of coffee. But you perceive that Starbucks or Dunkin' tastes better. It's conveniently located because it's on the way to work or it's close to the office. And then promotion is the education and the training and the marketing and everything goes around that you're willing to pay the $5. 
for that same cup of coffee. So we have to think about it in terms of HME DME. If my assortment consists of the exact same Medicare product that is determined or by sole sourcing with the bottom of the line incontinence product, and that's what I'm going to offer, and then someone comes in my door and says, I have a this mobility issue, what walker should I get or what wheelchair should I get? And all you show them is the basic stripped-down model with no features, functions, and benefits on it, like a it's lightweight or it has a folding basket or it has a flashlight attached, a cane holder, a tray, those things that make the consumer patient's life more convenient, easier, more stable. And then if you educate why that's all important, you can take an average ring, it's known in retail, the, the value of the transaction from being about $100 being four to five to $600 with the add-ons. That's where the profit comes in. Many years ago, and just a reminder that Procter & Gamble did a study, what did it take to gain a new consumer into the retail space? And in 1989, that's how old this study was, <laughs> it cost $3,000. So that study was updated in the year 2005. It was close to $8,000 to acquire a brand new consumer that would be loyal to you over time. So when they walk in the door, once they walk in the door, you have a golden opportunity to capture them for life if you provide exceptional service and you can charge a premium for it. And we've discussed this in one of our VGM playbooks that we put out to our members. Once you have turned them into a customer for life, it costs you a great deal less to keep a customer you already have than it takes to earn a new one. And so therefore, when they walk in the door, the one question you should not ask them is, hi, may I help you? You should get to know them. You should say, hey, welcome to my location. Thank you for taking the time to come in. And if you've ever studied Nordstrom's, Nordstrom's salespeople are trained never to say, hi, may I help you? They sit back, observe, watch you, and then they'll walk up to you nonchalantly, non-threateningly, and say, thank you for coming in today. I'm over here. If there's any questions that you might have, just wave at me, and I'll come back and chat with you. I can tell you the number of times I've walked into a provider's stores, and they don't even wave at me. They don't acknowledge me. It'll be 10 minutes before they even know that I'm in the door. And then when they come up, typically the first question is, what insurance do you have? We've trained our customers that it must be free because insurance is equated with a low copay or free. Somebody else is going to pay for it. Yep. We know that relationships are important. We're talking about that right now. So there are a lot of people listening to this podcast, Wes, who might be tempted to add a fifth P to the sacred list. And I know that you are strongly against that. So what would you say to the person who says, what about the patient or the payer? Shouldn't we be discussing them somehow while we're, while we're talking about this model? What would you tell them, Wes? So I think that's a great call out. Thank you for uh, bringing that up, Ryan. As few as five, six years ago, um, the, the product purchase decision was determined by someone other than the consumer slash patient. So if we go back just a few years, if someone needed a particular wheelchair or a walker or a commode or knee brace or compression hosiery, the doctor, the payer, 
said, this is the one you get. Period. Now, <laughs> this is what we're willing to pay for. And this is what we're willing to pay for. But with the consumerism of healthcare with Amazon, Amazon, I happen to think, is probably the best thing that's happened to this industry in the 25 years that I've been in it. That's an interesting one, perspective, Wes, and I feel like there's a whole bunch of people on the edge of their seats that really want to hear your explanation for that one right now. <laughs> well, the reason <laughs> that it's the best is it's actually opened the eyes of consumers to say they have choices. They no longer have to wait on the bottom of the line product that someone else is going to pay for. We all have heard many, many times there are 10,000 baby boomers that become 65 every single day, and that's been occurring for about the last four years. Well, most baby boomers I know, they actually have two cars and a house and disposable income. Now, that same consumer is stating it's no longer a patient, they're a consumer. And the consumer says, I'm willing to open up my wallet because now that I'm 65, 70, 75 years old, I'm not going to accept what an other person or company or payer decided to give me. I'm going to pay for it. And especially with the advent of HSA, FSA, and just basic savings accounts, people are willing to spend money for quality health care, and therefore they are consumers of health care, not patients that are being told what they must do. All right, Wes. Well, one thing that I want to hit upon, nothing is ever as simple in healthcare as we might like to think it is. So what about the legal side of this? So if somebody's listening to this and thinking that this sounds like a good idea, they might like to try it. What are the things that they need to know from a legal and compliance standpoint to make sure that when they bring their offering to market, that they are doing it in a way that's consistent with state and federal law? So I think it's really important to call out that though I occasionally stay at Holiday and Expresses, I am not an attorney. <laughs> I do work very closely with Jeff Baird and Cara Bockenheimer and the VGM group on understanding the criticality of assignment, not assignment. So in my answer, I think it's important that what you really do is Jeff Baird has published many white papers, and there's three great white papers talking about assignment, not assignment, and I have copies of them. Jeff Baird has copies of them. A Home Care has them. VGM has them. So we're more than happy to get you in touch with reading through that. But in a summarized fashion, it basically is this. If you take full assignment and you're trying to sell for cash an item that is covered by Medicare and the consumer patient has Medicare or the private insurance company, you're expected to bill for that item. Now, you can do advanced beneficiary notices and you can do other things, but it is also highly recommended by our friend Jeff Baird that you consider opening a second business, which is really a cash business. There are many providers in the marketplace that don't take assignment at all, and they might even bill as non-assigned, or they don't even have a Medicare number or a Medicaid a CMS number. And if that's the case, then they're not restricted in any way, shape, or form. 
But I would highly encourage you, if you don't have an attorney on retainer for your business, that you just simply go read three short white papers. They're about a total of 12 pages, and if I can understand it, you don't have to be a lawyer to understand it, <laughs> and then just follow those guidelines. And last but not least, again, BGM and A Home Care and Jeff Baird are more than willing to take some time to help walk people through it. Yes, we are. Very good point. If I'm a listener and this sounds good to me, what other resources are out there, Wes, that I can either read or take advantage of to help me learn more about this so that I can start off on the right foot? There's so many resources out there, not only through VGM, but also through your distributor partner, including McKesson. Lisa Wells has written an incredible ebook about getting social how to use social media, healthcare marketing, because uh, we know that social media is a very highly influential methodology to get your message out there. I would encourage you to reach out to your peers. If you uh, are at the Heartland Conference, if you're going to MedTrade, if you're involved in your state association, when you're listening to the presenters at your state associations, Pull somebody aside and say, hey, I think you've got a retail presence. What were the hurdles that you came across? One of the things that I would call out is your distributor, a sales rep, your account manager, we are all living and working diligently, whether it's McKesson or one of the other major distributors in the marketplace, to help each store, each DME diversify their revenue and keep them viable for the long term. Because as I alluded to at the top of this podcast, just five short years ago, there was 41,000 locations of HME, DME providers in America before a competitive bid started. Mm. We're now down to about 20 to 21,000 and shrinking. Two years ago in the state of Minnesota, we lost 41 providers. I think it's stabilized and with competitive bidding coming back around, we can't hang our hats solely on that. But the gorilla in the room is Amazon. They're not going to sit idly by and ignore a $50 billion marketplace. They're going to try to capture it. So now is the time to go get it done. Information is power. And the more people you can talk to, the more powerful you become. Is there anything that we missed? Are there any other tips that you would offer to somebody who's thinking about playing in this space? Well, I think the first and foremost is you have to sit back and say, I'm not going to take a knee-jerk reaction and just get into the market because it's not a build-it-and-they-will-come type of situation or, or solution. You need to sit back and decide, are you going to resource it? And one of the biggest mistakes I've always seen, you've taken somebody, an employee, that is a biller or someone that is not trained in consumer behavior. And you put them in the front of the store and you say, well, they're a really good customer service person, so they can sell. You've got to incentivize them. You need to train them. They need to have the right attitude. Put the care where it belongs is local. The employee needs to ensure that they care passionately about care of patients while keeping an eye towards profitability and an eye towards what is the right solution for that consumer of healthcare. I would also suggest that in the 20, 25 minutes of this podcast, I probably have another 30 or 40, 50 tips to go through. However, 
uh, in the interest of time. I think there might be a better way if anyone is interested. Uh, more than happy to chat with them and work with them on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Well, Wes, if somebody uh, would like to take you up on that offer, what would be the best way of reaching you, sir? So the best way of reaching me is by email, and my email address is just as it sounds, Wes, W-E-S, dot hopper at McKesson dot com. My phone number is 540-662- one three one nine and the last and most important tip that i can give anybody and everybody listening on this i'm going to ask you to harken back to when you were 14 13 12 years old and your mom made you write handwritten thank you notes because of your birthday or christmas or whatever holiday you celebrated now the recipient of that thank you note, that handwritten thank you note, it meant the world to them. Also, by a show of hands, virtual show of hands, I would ask, when was the last time you wrote a handwritten thank you note to your customer? Thank you for your business. Thank you for coming in and giving us an opportunity to improve your health. If you want to have a lasting lifetime customer, that little gesture of a handwritten thank you note will seal the deal. Speaking of thank yous, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know that you spend a lot of time on the road. I really appreciate you being willing to call in today and discuss this issue with us. And I hope that anybody listening to this who's thinking about uh, starting up a retail offering uh, can take your advice and might even reach out and get some more of it uh, since you've put that offer on the table. And I hope that they find success with it as a result of your being here today. Brian, thank you as well, and I really appreciate you giving us an opportunity to get a further message out to the industry. We are committed to growing together, and I really appreciate this opportunity as well. Well, thank you so much. You have a good one, sir. All right. Thank you. 